Welcome to the Sunday School lesson from Joelton Church of the Nazarene. My name is John Mills. I'm glad we can be together today. Today we are beginning a new series of lessons from the very first book of the Bible, Genesis. And Genesis is the book of beginnings. We are introduced here to the God of the Bible. And what we find may be surprising to us. Today, we will be looking at Genesis chapter 4, the story of the first brothers, Cain and Abel. But before we begin the lesson, let's bow our heads for prayer. I want us to pray together the prayer that Paul prayed for the Philippians, Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. 56-year-old Horace Jones lived with his brother Colin, and they lived in a house they had inherited from their mother. The problem was these two brothers could not get along. And one night, things came to a head. Horace had come home, fixed himself some supper, gone into the dining room to eat it. Well, Colin comes into the dining room and turns the lights off. Of course, that makes Horace upset. He gets up, turns the lights back on, sits back down. Colin comes back into the room, turns the lights back off, leaves. Well, this goes on for several times, and then Colin goes to get a sword. Well, that leaves Horace to make the decision. He leaves the house and goes outside. The point of this whole story is eventually rocks are thrown, one of the brothers is arrested, and actually serves time in jail. Now, we look at these examples of brothers and we know that often brothers don't get along very well. In the Bible, we are looking at the very first brothers in this section of Genesis, Cain and Abel. And their result is a lot more deadly than between Horace and Colin. When we look at this story and others from Genesis, we often don't read the story for what it actually says. We can become so familiar with the story that we assume we know all about it. Daniel Zucker writes, It is the rare person who can separate one's observations from one's preconceptions to see what is, not what one expects to see. So as we look through these stories of Genesis, I would like for us to be able to see what is actually said to take a fresh look at these stories in order to see what's there and not just what we expect to see. We usually refer to this episode from Genesis as the story of Cain and Abel, but this story is not really about Cain and Abel. Abel's role is a very minor one. In fact, he doesn't speak a word. The story really is about Cain and God. We see Cain beginning to pull away from God and God doing his best to prevent the breakdown of the relationship. But in the end, Cain insists on ruling himself rather than being ruled by God. Cain repeats the sin of Lucifer, 
Lucifer was the first to rebel against God. Lucifer, the most glorious of God's created beings. But in his pride, he stands up against God and has to face the consequences. Ezekiel 28 reads, You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. And then in Isaiah we read, How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. John Piper writes, Satan was a holy angel who somehow, mysteriously, came to prefer self-exaltation over God. His delusion was that it was even possible for a finite creature to determine things for themselves and to go on to believe that this was preferable to submitting to God. Once Satan had fallen, his design for humanity was to persuade Adam and Eve to believe this same delusion, to persuade them that they, even though they were finite created beings, they could determine for themselves, they could rule themselves, and that this would be good for them. In Genesis 3, 5, Satan tells Eve, For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So we can see why Satan is called the father of lies. This is the original lie, the untruth that all his other lies are based on, the lie that we are capable of deciding things for ourselves, and that we can do a better job of running our lives than God can. Cain repeats this sin of Lucifer. He falls out of relationship with God, because he insists on being sovereign himself. He insists on taking the place of God. Really, in Cain, we see the root of sin revealed, where we set aside the image of God and we choose ourselves instead. You remember that Adam and Eve were created in God's image. They were to be the image bearers of God. They were to be God's presence in His creation, to rule God's creation for God Himself. But instead, they chose to usurp God's role. And Cain does the same thing. He rejects his role as an image bearer and instead chooses to rule himself. As we begin looking at the lesson, we see Cain's position, the basis for his pride, and it lets us understand a little of his expectations. We are told that Cain occupied a unique role in the first family. He was blessed with different characteristics that gave him significance above the other brothers or sisters. Cain had reason to see himself as the hope of the family, the one that the future depended upon. And it's very probable that Adam and Eve saw him in this light as well. First, we notice Cain was the firstborn male. Now, the oldest son often has a significance in the family that the other children do not have. The oldest son is viewed as the heir apparent, the one who someday will assume leadership of the family. And this is true today, but it, it was even more significant in biblical times. The firstborn male would be the one that was blessed by the father. 
the firstborn male received the birthright, a double portion of the inheritance. You remember the story of Jacob and Esau. That revealed how important it was to be the firstborn son. Jacob and Esau were twins, born only minutes apart. But since Esau technically was the firstborn, the blessing, the birthright belonged to him. Now, we know the story. Jacob ends up with both the blessing and the birthright. But to do so, he had to trick Esau out of them. Rightfully, they belonged to Esau. Now, Cain wasn't just a firstborn son. Cain was the firstborn of the firstborn. Cain was the firstborn human of all time. You remember, Adam and Eve were not born. They were created by God. Cain is the first to be fully human, to experience the full reality of what it means to be human from birth to death. Many times, a father will pin his hopes, his dreams on his firstborn son. He sees that son as a way to relive his life, to accomplish what he's always wanted to accomplish. And it may very well be that Adam and Eve saw Cain in this light. We get a hint of this from how Cain is named. Verse 1 of chapter 4, Eve says, With the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. And she names this boy child Cain, which means acquired by God. Eve was promised by God that her offspring would crush the head of the serpent. Many commentators believe that Eve named her son Cain because she saw this firstborn boy as the fulfillment of God's promise. She believed Cain would be that promised deliverer the offspring who would crush the head of the serpent. Cain may have grown up himself with this belief. We also read here that Cain was a farmer. Abel, on the other hand, was a shepherd. And these roles are significant because, you remember, Adam was also a farmer. Adam, in fact, was the original farmer. He earned his living from the earth by the sweat of his brow. As a farmer... Cain was carrying on the family trade. We also have to remember that during this time, animals were not used for food. Before Noah's flood, mankind was given only the plants to eat. Animals were not used as food until after the flood. So Abel's role as shepherd would not have provided food or sustenance to the family. In fact, the only use that animals have so far in the Scripture at this point is for clothing. So, it would be easy for Cain to see himself, the farmer, as the one who feeds the family, the one who keeps the family alive. Cain is also the one who instigates the act of sacrifice. Scripture tells us Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering. Many commentators feel that sacrifice was something God had already introduced, that God had taught man how and when and where to sacrifice. But we don't have any biblical uh, record of this. If we go strictly by what is recorded, Cain is the one who instigates the offering. Without being commanded, he brings a sacrifice. And in fact, it's only after Cain brings a sacrifice that Abel also 
brings a sacrifice. So it seems that Cain is taking a first step to reach out to God. From all of this, we can see how easy it would be for Cain to have certain expectations, for Cain to assume that his sacrifice would be given precedence. He was the firstborn. He was the older son. He was the one to crush the serpent's head. He was the one feeding the family. He was the one who came up with the idea of sacrificing to God. And then, for him to give his sacrifice only to see it considered inferior. You can see why this would would not have sat well with Cain. So, in the next section of our story, we find Cain encountering an unexpected obstacle. God rejects Cain's sacrifice. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. God accepts Abel's offering, but not Cain's. We aren't told why. Throughout the centuries, there have been many theories about this, uh, about why, why Cain's sacrifice was rejected. Some feel that it was rejected because it wasn't an animal sacrifice. Cain brought from the fruits of the soil. But, as we said earlier, we don't know that God had given any kind of previous instruction about what a sacrifice should consist of. And we also know that later, when instructions are given on exactly how to make the sacrifices, under the Mosaic Law, sacrifices could be either plants or animals. Bread could be brought as an offering. There was a grain offering. So, plants weren't automatically excluded as a sacrifice. The Scripture seems to indicate It wasn't just the sacrifice itself, but it was the man and the sacrifice that was important. We read here, The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So it doesn't seem that it's just the sacrifice. The rejection seems to have something to do with the man who brings it. And we get a clue as to what this might be, when we look at the specifics of the sacrifice, it isn't just that Abel's offering is an animal. We are told three other things about his sacrifice. The sacrifice consists of the fat portions from several different animals, and these animals are the firstborn of his flock. All of these would indicate that Abel considers this sacrifice to be his best, He takes the best part of the best of his animals. If you've ever been around those who raise animals for a living, you want your animals to breed as often and rapidly as possible. It doesn't make economic sense to take your oldest animals, your firstborn, and use those as your sacrifice. You want to use those as your breeding animals. And yet, Abel brought from the firstborn of his animals. Cain's offering, on the other hand, is simply described as some of the fruits of the soil. Jewish commentators going as far back as the 12th century have noted there are Hebrew words to indicate that a plant offering was from the choice vegetables, the fat portions, so to speak. But 
The Genesis text does not use these words to describe Cain's offering. Cain's offering seems to be ordinary, run-of-the-mill. And this may have reflected Cain's attitude as well. We don't know exactly why Cain brought an offering, but it doesn't seem to be a worshipful act in the sense that Cain brings his best, that Cain offers his best. Ultimately, we are not given an explanation of why God acts the way he does. As Walter Brueggemann puts it, the trouble comes not from Cain, but from Yahweh, the strange God of Israel. Inexplicably, Yahweh chooses, he accepts, and rejects. God acts without explaining himself to us. He doesn't owe us an explanation, and often we would not be able to understand or comprehend any explanation. Malachi 1, verses 2 and 3, God speaks and says, Was not Esau Jacob's brother? The Lord says, Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. Here we see God again picking and choosing. And we look at this statement and we think, how, how can God act in this way? But ultimately, we are in no position to judge what God does. We can't second-guess God's decisions. We can only trust in God's righteousness. And so Cain is faced here with a choice. Whether he will go along with God's decision, whether he will agree with it, whether he will submit, or whether he will rebel. And so Cain comes to a moment of choosing. Will he accept God's judgment? Will he conform to God's plan of sacrifice? Will he insist on substituting his own judgment, on offering his own sacrifice? Cain's initial response is not to take this correction very well. Scripture tells us Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Cain takes this rejection personally. His pride is wounded. And this isn't just a rejection of his offering. Cain sees it a rejection of his person as well. He feels that he has been evaluated and found wanting by the God who knows all, who sees all. Now, this is not what is actually happening. God makes it clear this is not a rejection of Cain himself. Scripture says, The Lord says to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? This is a mistake we often make, to feel that God rejects us when he disciplines us. But God's discipline is intended for our good. It's not to harm us. And God then issues a warning to Cain. If you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you but you must rule over it. So, here we find sin portrayed as a very real, personal danger. Sin is more than just symbolic. It's more than a concept or a theory. Sin is a very real presence in our world, a dangerous presence, an evil that is personally opposed to us, that seeks to devour us. We have to understand, Satan is a very real, a very personal foe to those who are aligned with God, to those in relationship with God.
But God also makes it clear to Cain, you do not have to lose this battle. You don't have to be consumed, devoured by sin. You, in fact, can rule over it. As Christians, we go through this life with an evil force, a force that's in continual opposition to us. And it's important that we realize this. But we also have to understand that uh, there is one who is on our side, a powerful God. 1 John 4, 4, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And then we find Cain making his choice. He refuses to submit to God's judgment, and he becomes the first murderer. In spite of all that God has done to prevent the rupture of their relationship, Cain, in the end, does not heed God's warning. Cain insists on taking his own way. And so we learn of the world's first murder. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. We're told very few details of this. If this were a newspaper story, we would find a lot of things that are wanting here. There are a lot of questions we would like to see answered. Questions of how and when and where and why. When did this happen? Was this something that happened immediately after the sacrifices? Did Cain stew over this situation for years before he acted? Where did it occur? Did Cain deliberately bring Abel out into the field? Was this a chance encounter? How did it occur? Did Cain strike out on impulse? Was this premeditated? Did Cain even know that he could kill Abel? Now, you think, well, of course he would know that he could kill Abel. But up to this point, no human had ever died. Animals had been killed. But so far, no humans had ever suffered a physical death. Did Abel provoke Cain by something he said? Lots of questions, lots of details, and we aren't given any of them. We are simply told Cain attacked his brother and murdered him. In the Gospels, Jesus lists Abel as the first in a long line of righteous men who are slaughtered because of their righteousness, men who are killed by those who oppose righteousness. In this case, I really believe Cain is striking out not so much against Abel, but against God. He seems to be saying to God, since you approve of Abel, since Abel is the one you have chosen, how do you like him now? Cain couldn't strike back at God, but he could strike back at Abel. Abel's righteousness revealed Cain's shortcomings. And this proves impossible for Cain to put up with. Now, Abel is innocent in all of this, but Abel is the one who suffers. And so, here at the very beginning, we see the suffering of the innocent. Abel is the one who does everything right. He's the one who brings the sacrifice that is accepted. And yet, Abel is the one who dies in his prime, who dies childless, who is cut off from the living. Cain, in fact, as we'll see later, is allowed to live on. Cain will fulfill a life. 
He will marry. He will have a family. He will raise children. He will go on to found a city. And so the question we ask, why is Abel, the innocent one, why is he allowed to suffer here? Why didn't God step in? Why is God silent? Why does God allow this evil to action or to occur? And so from the very beginning, we see in these actions questions that mankind will struggle with throughout the rest of their history. And we learn from the very beginning there are several important things about God. First, we learn about God's holiness. We see God as a holy God. And the word holy at its basic root means other. God is holy because God is completely other. He cannot be understood. He cannot be predicted. He cannot be put into a formula. God is one who is in a category by himself and one whose goodness is absolute. Here we find a God who accepts and rejects according to his own design and standards. A God who doesn't explain himself to us. A God whom we can't judge or evaluate. We see a God who allows suffering to take place, who for his own reasons doesn't always step in to stop evil. He doesn't always protect the righteous. But we see a God who is always aware of our suffering and who suffers along with us. God did not allow Abel's suffering because he was immune to it, because somehow he was ignorant of it. God had his reasons. Now, we also learn about a loving God, a God who does everything he can to prevent the breaking of relationship between God and man. Here we see God extending provenient grace. After Cain kills Abel, God is, or before Cain kills Abel, God is the one to reach out to Cain. When Cain's sacrifice is rejected, when Cain becomes angry, God takes the first move to warn Cain, to say, why are you angry? Watch out. Sin is crouching at the door. And so God attempts to extend grace, to extend help to Cain, but Cain will have none of it. We can see from this that God's judgments, his corrections, are formative rather than summative. In other words, God's discipline is intended not to punish us, but to correct us, to bring us back onto the right path, to bring us back into right relationship with God. We also learn some important things about God's salvation. We see, first of all, that sin is universal among mankind. We aren't told of the details of, of the murder of Abel. Scripture simply says Cain attacked and killed. And I think there's a reason for this. We like to focus on the details of our sins to somehow imagine that our sins are unique. They are special. They are justified in some way. You know, imagine if we learned that Abel had provoked Cain in some way. Cain might be arguing, you know, this is why I did it. And so we like to focus on the details of our sin to justify and rationalize and say, 
well, our sin is really different from all of the other sins out there. But sin is sin, and it has been sin since the beginning. And we see here the root of sin is alive and well in Cain. So we don't really need to know the details. We know that the sin is present. We know that it's present in Cain, and we know that it's present in all of us until God wipes us clean with the blood of His Son. Now, we also see that sin is a very personal enemy, that sin is a very real danger to us. It's not just some kind of theory. It's not just a theological abstraction. We have a devil who opposes us, who would like nothing better than to consume and devour, and we have to be on our guard. But we also see that God's salvation is enough. Sin can be resisted. Sin, through the power of God, can be overcome. Sin is not all-powerful in our lives. And so, as we look at this story of Cain, the story really of Cain and God, it's one of warning, but it's also one of promise. In this story, we see a God who is constantly striving to keep Cain in fellowship to keep that fellowship within, with, between them intact. And when that fellowship ruptures, when it breaks, it's not God's fault. It's Cain's fault. We can see the great mercy and love of the God that we serve, a God who goes all out to preserve his relationship with us. From the very beginning of man's history, God has been reaching out to us. We're going to continue this lesson next week, but for now, let's close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the mercy and the love that we see revealed in this story. We see the awfulness of this very first murder. We see the terrible consequences of sin and the destruction that sin brings into our lives. But we also see your great salvation and how you strive to maintain a relationship with us, how that you do everything in your power to offer us provenient grace, to, to keep us walking in fellowship with you. And yet it comes down to the choice that we make. Will we allow you to rule, or will we insist on being our own God? Help us, Lord, to submit to you, to surrender to you, to accept this glorious salvation that you have provided, and we'll give you the praise in your name. Amen.